You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. Would you take your Bibles, look with me, Matthew chapter 7 is where we're at today. We are concluding this series. For the past few weeks, we've been looking at uh, hard sayings of Jesus. Did Jesus really say that? Um, And what we've discovered, what we've discovered throughout this series is that following Jesus is good and right, but it's not always easy and fun, right? Are we having trouble trying to give the offering and listen at the same time? Should I wait until we're finished? Following Jesus is always right and good, but it's not always fun and easy. Sometimes it's challenging. Sometimes it's difficult. At times people may ridicule, people may challenge you, people may disagree with you, people may persecute you. And I don't know why we would think that would be odd, because this is what Jesus said, just as they persecuted me, so they're going to persecute you. And the challenge many times is living out the words of Jesus, truly embracing what it is, what it is to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ is at times going to, it's at times it's going to put us in hard places, challenging places. It's going to challenge our flesh. That's going to challenge the comfort of our lives. That is a reality. You know, if you think about it, Jesus was counterculture. Counterculture. In other words, he challenged the culture of the day. He challenged both the unrighteous and the self-righteous and made them feel uncomfortable. He was calling them to change. And just as Jesus was counterculture, listen, he's called us as his followers to be counterculture. And that... And that we're not living as the world lives. See, we've been called to be in the world, but not of the world. As we're living out this faith life. When this hard saying of Jesus that we want to look at today is is, uh, addressing the issue of ongoing spiritual evaluation. The necessity of that in our lives. and, And what it looks like. Jesus gives us a picture this morning of what it looks like to truly be a Christ follower. A follower of Jesus. You know, every year or so, and I emphasize the or so part, and I probably don't do this quite as regular as I should, but every year or so, I make an appointment to go see uh, my family doctor, uh, Dr. Mike. I make an appointment and I go, so, you know, time for the, the checkup, the annual checkup. And when I go in, several things happen. One, they, they check all of my vitals. Um, Secondly, they always draw blood to do some blood work. Third thing is, man, they ask a ton. I mean, a ton of questions. Uh, and then after a couple of weeks, I get the report back as to how things are going. And, and we do these physical checkups because what we want to see if there's a problem so we can catch the problem before it becomes like really a problem, right? That's why we do physical checkups, see, make sure everything's working okay. And praise God for me so far, everything's been good, all good reports. The only thing the doc's ever said is, you know, you need to lose a few pounds and stress management might be good for you. Uh, and so I'm working on some of those things. But every year or so, I go for a physical checkup to make sure the body's doing okay. And hopefully you're doing the same. If not, men, you really need to do this. Okay, it's the men that have the challenge with this, not so much uh, the ladies. 
You need to have the physical checkup. But I was, as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, just as we need a physical checkup to see how the body's doing, so we need to consistently, continually be doing a spiritual checkup. Ever so often, you need to slow down enough to do a heart check, to do an internal evaluation, to say, how's it going? How's it going with me and Jesus? You need to do an internal check to make sure that the faith you're professing is the faith that you're living. Because if we're not careful, there, there can become a disconnect. If we're not careful, we can become complacent. Now, obviously, you wouldn't do that, but your neighbor would. But spiritual complacency can set in. We can become dull in our senses, and we can find ourselves lackadaisical in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So what do we need? We, we, need a, we need to have a spiritual checkup. This like under the hood, let's see what's happening in, relation, in, in our relationship with Christ. Because here's the reality of what we're going to discover today through the hard saying of Jesus that we're going to look at. It's this, right? It's right there in your sermon notes. We can go through all kinds of religious maneuvers. We can say all the theologically correct statements and even claim even claim to be following the Lord and yet be separated from God forever. Let me say it like this. We can think we are right with God, but not be right with God. I mean, it happened to the religious leaders of Jesus' day. I mean, they looked like they had it all together. If you listen to them talk, they could talk the talk. And they thought that their religion made them right with God. I mean, like they had, they were hitting all of the right days and they were consistently fasting. I mean, they were so religious that other people were applauding their religion. They thought they had it all together. Yet Jesus would say these words. And listen what I, listen as I read what Jesus said. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. In other words, they're saying the right thing, but there's a disconnect. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are nothing but rules taught by men. Then at another time, Jesus said to these religious leaders, good, good church folks. Like they were in church every Sunday. They were in the synagogue every Sunday. Listen to what Jesus said. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. And the challenge for the religious leaders, the church folks of the day, is they thought their religion made them right with God, and they were deceived. We have we could have that challenge today, thinking that religion is enough, and I'm here to tell you that it's not enough. So that's one challenge. There's a second challenge I think that's prevalent, especially in our culture today, and it's what I call easy believism. Easy believism. We've promoted easy believism rather than teaching people what it means to truly follow Jesus. The easy believism appears to be interested in making converts, not making disciples. And the heart of the great, com the great commission, as Jesus gave in Matthew 28, is not about making converts, it's about making disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples. A disciple is one who follows after their master. Jesus said, go and make, not, not go and make converts, but go and make disciples. 
Go and go and um, and proclaim the gospel in such of a way that people become so encountered by Jesus Christ that their lives are forever transformed. That's what Jesus was saying. And the process of salvation begins with believing, but it also requires following. The professions of faith, not backed by real actions, are empty. In Matthew 7, 16, Jesus said this, you'll be recognized by your fruit. He says, that's how, that's how people know you're a, a follower of Jesus. In John 13, 35, Jesus said this, the world will know you're my disciples by how you love. In other words, Jesus was saying there should be such action from our lives as a result of the reality of Christ in our lives that the world says, wait, there, whoa, there's something really different about those folks. It's not enough for us just to profess Jesus as Lord, like Lord, Lord. The challenge is really for us to embrace Him as the Lord of our lives. And that's what Jesus is talking about here in in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. If you have your scripture, you can follow along. I think it's on the screen as well this morning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Folks, that first line should cause us to pause and reflect deeply. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, Jesus will enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice he goes on to say, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, notice, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. In verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall. Notice, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. You know, what's clear, what's clear here from Jesus' words is that we need to do a soul check ever so often. We need to do a little internal evaluation. Listen, all, all true Christians say, Lord, Lord, but not all who say, Lord, Lord, are true Christians. Let me say that again. All true Christians say, Lord, Lord. But not all who say, Lord, Lord, are true Christians. I mean, Jesus said on that day, on the day of judgment, individuals are going to profess the name of Jesus. Lord, Lord, he's going to say, hey, I, I, don't, I don't know who you are. Hey, Jesus is, I believe that Jesus is, is giving us this, this passage of Scripture. He's speaking these words as a point of warning to us. This passage of Scripture should not generate fear in us. And when I was a kid, I, I grew up with a theology and in a church where it was like, you know, every Sunday I was at the altar repenting because I just knew I'd so messed up during the week that I'd lost my salvation again and I had to get saved all over again. Now, praise God, my theology has developed and matured where I understand the security of the believer in Christ. 
so I don't have to live in fear. I don't think this passage of Scripture should stir anxiety and fear within us, but I think it should stir deep concern. Let me tell you why. Because there's the possibility of us being self-deceived. The individuals that Jesus was addressing were self-deceived. They thought everything was okay when it was not okay. I said, we've done all of these works. We've done all of these religious things. We've, we've prophesied. We've cast out demons. Jesus said, I, I don't know who you are. There's no relationship. You know, for me, this passage of Scripture is probably the most ominous of all of the Scripture in the Bible. When I read this passage of Scripture, it gives me great pause. Let me tell you why. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I got saved when I was four 53, I've been following Jesus now for about 49 years. And I have abundant life and I'm looking forward to eternal life. But when I read Jesus and his words of people who were saying, Lord, Lord. And he said, I don't know who you are. It, it makes me step back and give pause to say, OK, is it am I in a good place with Jesus? I don't want to be in the place where I'm like saying all the right things and I'm making all the right professions, but I'm not connected into a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't want to come to that day, which is the end of my life. Either Jesus comes back or I go to him and, and he say, you know, I, I don't know who you are. But Jesus, I preached some great sermons. and A lot of people slept in my sermons. And don't you remember me? And it's like, I, who are you? I, I don't want to be that person. So when I read this passage of Scripture, again, it doesn't stir fear within me. It doesn't stir anxiety. But it does make me step back and say, oh, I'm going to do a little heart check. A little internal evaluation. It's what I'm professing in alignment with how I'm living. Because I don't want to, I don't want to be self-deceived. And this is what I know about all of us. We can be easily self-deceived. Because what? We get real narrow in our thinking, right? Good thing I have my wife. She helps me see broader, right? Because I have that tendency is I only see this. And every once in a while, I need someone to come and say, no, have you thought about this? Did you see this? And I think the same thing happens for all of us is we can be self-deceived. Self-deceived to the point that we think we're right with God when possibly we're not. We've had great professions, but there's not a living relationship. You know, Jesus in John 15 said this. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you want life, you've got to be connected to. You've got to be living in me. We don't want to just make professions and not have relationship. And Jesus clearly states that it's not enough to profess the lordship of Jesus Christ. We must live out. Live out the lordship of Jesus Christ. We can be lost in the work of God and not be living out the will of God. If you, if you look back to verse 21, Jesus says, I, I don't... I don't know who you are. I mean, you've not been doing the will of the Father. You've got all these religious things you've been doing, but you're not in the will of the Father. 
We don't become saved and have the promise of eternal life by being good. Listen, listen, you cannot be good enough to save yourself. You can't be right enough. We don't become saved and have the promise of eternal life because we go to church or we even join a church. Listen, there's not a church today that can save you. Putting your name on a church row, becoming a church member will not save you. Only Jesus can save you. Listen, even going to church, and I'm glad you're here this morning. I think going to church is a good thing. I think it's the right thing. I think it's healthy for us. But listen, just going to a church cannot save you. It cannot make you a Christian any more than like going to a chicken house will make you a chicken, right? That's that's not the way it works. Listen, following rules will not save you and give you eternal life. Religion can't save you. Gaining knowledge cannot save you. Listen, salvation is not a head issue, it's a heart issue. I'm all for knowledge, and I think you should be learning as much about God and in His Word as you can. But listen, it's not like you get smart enough to get saved. Knowledge, knowledge, just knowledge alone, information alone, will not bring you the salvation that you need. Even doing supernatural works. I mean, look back to the text of what Jesus addressed. These folks are saying, hey, we prophesied in your name. We cast out some demons. We we healed the sick. We did supernatural stuff. And Jesus said, I don't know who you are. Again, Jesus is saying these things to warn us. So that we're not deceived, so that we so that we don't miss the very life He has for us. I think this passage of Scripture should drive us to really discover what true saving faith involves. So, really quick this morning, in a few minutes I have left, what does true saving faith, authentic faith, genuine faith, what what does it involve? I think we have to begin here. First, it involves God's grace. Salvation always begins with God's grace. Listen, salvation was not mankind's idea. It was God's idea. It was God who sought us out. We're saved by grace and grace alone. So what's grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace grace is this. It means that you get, I get what we don't deserve. Grace means this. It means that you can have your sins forgiven, your past forgiven, and you can be brought into a life-giving relationship with God. That's what grace means. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace we are saved. By, for by grace through faith we're saved, not of at work so that anyone could boast. God's grace, His grace to us. We cannot save ourselves and our good works do not in any way contribute to our salvation. Again, salvation is God's where we're saved by grace and, and grace alone. There's a great story that, that illustrates grace for us. True story. Dr. Billy Graham was driving through a small southern town and he was stopped by a policeman for speeding. I find comfort in that alone, that Dr. Graham speeds. <laughs> Makes me feel better. Dr. Graham admitted his guilt, but he was told by the officer that he was going to have to appear in court 
to pay his fine. So he appears in court. <clears throat> He's before the judge, and the judge says, guilty or not guilty? Dr. Graham says, I'm, I'm guilty. I was, I was speeding. And the judge, without looking up, says, well, you're 10 miles over the speed limit. A dollar for each mile, that's going to be $10. And he looked up, and he recognizes Dr. Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, in his, in his courtroom. He says, oh, Dr. Graham, I'm so sorry that you have to be before me today. And the courtroom says, hey, I want to pay your fine. Pulls out his wallet, $10, attaches it to the ticket. And then he takes his he takes Dr. Graham out for a steak dinner. And Dr. Graham says, that's just like the grace of God. I received more than I ever deserved. That's what is that grace. So true saving faith involves first God's grace, but it requires more than God's grace. Just because God, just because God gives grace to us doesn't mean that we're saved. There is the necessity of man's acceptance. So God's grace, then I have to receive, I have to receive that of the gift that God has for me. You have to do the same. Listen, God's provided the way of salvation through Jesus Christ. But every person must make the choice to receive God's gift of salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth and, and, that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. But there's the, the acceptance. I, there's an action that I need to take. God has, has made the first move, but I have to receive. There's man's acceptance. And God's provided the way of salvation, but I have to choose to walk in the way. He's provided the gift, but I have to receive, receive the gift. It would be like, let's say I'm, I'm being really generous today and I have an envelope with 10 $100 bills in it, $1,000, and I'm just being generous. And I, I, I come up to my friend Brian and say, Brian, uh, I want to give you $1,000 today because I just think you're really a wonderful guy. And Brian says, no, I don't think I want it. Come on, Brian, please, please, please take the money. No, I, I don't think I want it. Listen, it doesn't matter how generous I am, how gracious I am, or how much I want Brian to have the gift until he receives the gift. How many of you know it's not his gift? But he has to receive the gift for it to be his gift. Now, what fool would turn down $1,000? I would ask you, what fool would turn down eternal life? Man has to accept. So there's God's grace, but there's also man's acceptance. I mean, it doesn't stop there as we're thinking about Genuine faith, authentic faith, it also involves good works. Now let me be very clear. As I said earlier, we are not saved by our works. However, as we truly embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, there should be works. As we have received the wonder of God's grace in our lives, it's that very grace that we should be living out. And it's that grace that brings about good works. We're encouraging others. We're helping others. We're giving to others. What? It's God's grace that's transformed us. Now we're living that out. It should just be natural. A natural outflow of the reality of Christ in my life is what? I do good works. Not because somebody's telling me to. Not because somebody's forcing me to. It's, no, I, I'm just so in love with Jesus. I'm just looking for opportunity to make a difference in someone's life when I'm living out good works. 
It doesn't make me any more saved. I'm 100% saved. I can't get any more saved than I am. I don't have to do the works to, to gain salvation. No, because Jesus has so radically changed me, I can't stop from doing good. It's, that, it's the reality of Christ in my life. So, good works. You know, if you think about it, faith without practice is a contradiction in terms. Love without obedience is impossibility. Works in a Christ Father's life is, is not a prerequisite to salvation. It's a necessary byproduct of the salvation. In James 2.14, James wrote these words. Listen, listen as I read this. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? He goes on to verse 17 to say, Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by works, is dead. So I need faith, but I also, I also need works. Again, if you can think of it like this, works does not gain us salvation, but a life that's been transformed by God's saving grace should manifest that of works. And that's, the, again, the byproduct of the reality of Christ in my life. This leads us right into the fourth quality. The fourth quality of genuine, authentic faith is this, right construction. Turn to your neighbor and say, right construction. Go ahead and tell them. Ask them this question, are you building on the right foundation? It's interesting that right after this hard saying, where Jesus says, there's those who call me Lord, Lord, right profession, but they're not, they're not connected to me. They're not living in me. I'm not their Lord. I'm not their master. Right after this hard saying, he goes into this word picture. He has this illustration for us. And it's about two builders. A wise builder, a foolish builder. The wise builder is the one who goes out and he finds this solid rock, this solid foundation. And on the solid foundation, he begins to construct. He begins to build a house. And after the house is complete, Jesus says there's a storm that comes. How many of you know storms happen in life? There's a storm that comes, it blows against the house, and the house stands firm. Why? Right construction. Right foundation. And then he goes on to talk about a foolish builder, and this foolish builder goes out and he builds his house on the sand, unstable. Builds the house, wrong construction, what? Wrong foundation, wrong construction. Storm comes, house collapses. Bad construction. Again, here's the question. What are you building on? I mean, living out relationship with Christ is about right construction. I mean, there's this ongoing process of transformation happening in our lives. But we're, we're, we're under construction, right? We're, under, we're, we're all under construction. And we're going to be under construction throughout our lives. I don't think you're ever going to come to a place in this life where you can say, well, I've, I've arrived. In heaven, you can say that. But you won't say that here. Why? Because we're all under construction. I've been under construction for 49 years. And i still got quite a bit of work to do. So as we think about authentic faith... It's about right construction. It's about building on the right 
foundation. Listen, if we want to finish well and one day hear Jesus say, well done, that good and faithful servant, then we need to focus on right construction. We want to build our lives, build our lives on, on Jesus Christ. You know, because of, because of the words that Jesus spoke here in Matthew 7, and the potential of self-deception, for us to be professing great things but not living out the reality of relationship with Christ, I would encourage you ever so often, you need to have a heart check. Ever so often, you need to do an internal evaluation. I have something I do in my life. You've heard me talk about this before. Uh, but I have R&R. R&R is not rest and relaxation for me. R&R is routine repentance. I know me. I don't know you, but I know me. I have to travel with me all the time. And what I know about me is, man, I mess up. What do I need? Routine repentance. Heart check. And I would submit to you, ever so often... Man, you need to do a heart check because you don't want to come to that day, the end of your life, and hear Jesus say, I don't know who you are. But Jesus, we went to church all the time. I, I don't know who you are. We had a lot of rules we kept at our house. I don't know who you are. Jesus, we did some supernatural stuff. Don't you remember? I don't know who you are. Yeah, ever so often, again, I just think it's, it's healthy to get under the hood, so to speak. Like in my automobiles, every once in a while I get under the hood and I check the oil. Ever so often, folks, you need to get under the hood. Spiritual assessment. So as I wrap this up this morning, I'm going to leave you with four questions. And maybe you want to write these four questions on the inside flap of your Bible. Because I, you, I think these are healthy to come back to ever so often. Say, okay, how are we doing here? What I'm professing, does it line up with how I'm living? So, so it's a four question. The first is this. Have I really placed my faith in Jesus Christ as the master of my life? Underline that word master. As the master of my life. In other words, is he calling the shots in your life? Listen, you're not saved by religion, by attending church, because your parents were saved. Listen, you come to experience salvation when, you're, but you, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you receive him as Lord. So again, just be honest with yourself this morning. Because this really matters. You don't want to roll the dice on this one, folks. You don't want to come to the last day and say, well, I hope I got it right. No, have you, have you really placed your faith in Jesus Christ as the master, and I emphasize master of your life? Or maybe I could, maybe I could ask the question like this. Is Jesus your steering wheel or spare tire. That's not original with me. Someone shared that with me, and I thought, wow, that is a great question. Steering wheel's what? Directing, correct? Turn the steering wheel left, and you go where? Oh, y'all are so bright. <laughs> Turn the steering wheel right, you go right. right. So is Jesus your steering wheel? Is directing your life? Where is your spare tire? You got him in case you need him.
You hope you never need him. You hope you never have a flat tire. But in case you do, you've got the spare tire. So is he, is he your steering wheel or spare tire? Here's the second question. Are my beliefs established on God's word? Listen, everyone has opinions. You have opinions. I have opinions. We all have opinions. But when it's all said and done, it's not your opinion or my opinion that matters. It's what God's word says. His word has the final say. So are your beliefs really established on the truth of God's word? And we don't want to be self-deceived. So we want to come back to what God's word says. Here's the third question. Is there evidence that I'm becoming like Jesus? There should be this process, this ongoing process of transformation, that there's less of you and more of Jesus. And when I say less of you, I'm not talking about pounds, right? I'm talking about like attitude and sin and stuff, that there's less of you and more of Jesus. We're becoming more like Christ. That is the ongoing process, folks. So can you honestly say, I am becoming like Jesus? If you can't say that, then listen, there's a disconnect. There's a problem under the hood, so to speak. Here's a fourth question. Are there good works that reveal the reality of Jesus in my life? Is there fruit? Not just that I'm saying... Lord, Lord, but I'm living, Lord, Lord. Is there fruit? Is there works flowing out of the reality of Christ in your life? It's great questions. As we're doing this spiritual checkup. Because again, there's a difference between what we profess and how we live. We want to obviously profess the Lordship of Christ and we want to live that out that he's truly Lord of our lives would you pray with me Lord I I thank you this morning for the challenge of your word that you would give us you would give us this warning because there is the potential there is the possibility that we would be self-deceived like the religious leaders who thought it was good with them and their relationship with God they thought they were in right standing with God yet when they were so disconnected they were honoring with their lips but their hearts were so far removed what I know Jesus is the same thing can happen to us over a period of time we can become complacent so Holy Spirit this morning just in a this moment of quietness I just invite you to convict our hearts if there's areas and places where we need to bring ourselves back submitted to your Lordship Holy Spirit would you just reveal those this morning because we don't want to be deceived we we don't want to be thinking it's all right when it's not all right because you know we have a tendency to detour Maybe there's some course adjustments that need to be made today. Maybe there's some decisions that need to be made today. Holy Spirit, would you just speak to our hearts?
heads bowed and eyes closed, possibly you're here today and, and just say, wow. Wow, I've been coming to church for a long time and I thought it was okay with my soul. Or maybe you would say, yeah, we, we have a lot of rules. Our home, we're following a lot of rules. But you've, not, you've never submitted your life to Jesus Christ. You've never made a master of your life. Or maybe you just thought, well, my parents were saved, so obviously I'm saved. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. For every individual, they have to accept the gift. If you're here today, and you would just say, well, I, I, I realize today I need to make Jesus Christ the master of my life. No, to receive him as my savior but to really embrace him as my lord I need to make that decision today is there anyone who just would raise their hand and just say hey that's me I want to pray with you right now a balcony on the main floor is there anyone who would just say yeah that's me today I, I need to make that decision you stand with me? I want to ask our prayer teams if they would come. Again, I would encourage you to take these four questions because I just know in my own life, just a part of my part of my journey, a part of my uh, ongoing disciplines is I, every once in a while I just get under the hood and do a little heart check. What do I need to take care of? What areas do I need to again surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Maybe it would be the same for you. I would encourage you to take those four questions and every once in a while reflect on those. But we have leaders available this morning to pray with you, to pray for you. Um, If you have a need, whatever that would be, physical, financial, relational. What we believe here at Grace Covenant is is that God is, God's able. So we pray bold prayers. So please come see one of these leaders. The communion table is open here on the main floor in the balcony. If you'd like to celebrate communion, um, we have that available for you. As you go into your week, I pray God's blessings on you and for you. May God's favor not only encounter your life, but may it overflow your life. And when it does, and I know it will, man, make sure that you share the love of Jesus with others, because this is what I know. We live in a world where people are desperate. They're desperate for the hope, the hope of Jesus. I encourage you this week, find that opportunity and tell someone about how God has radically changed your life. God bless you. Have a great week. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.